Hello, this is Dan Farisi, Editor-in-Chief with Commercial Integrator and host of the AV Plus podcast, welcoming you to AV Plus, the podcast for the commercial AV integration industry. We're talking today about 4K and 8K, which is a topic we're going to be exploring in some depth in the February issue with a number of subject matter experts. We have one of those subject matter experts here with us today. We're really excited to learn more about his perspective about those particular specs and why they seem to have so much currency. And do they have more currency? perhaps than they really should. It's all today on the AV Plus Podcast. As always, please like and subscribe to our YouTube page, and please subscribe to the AV Plus Podcast on Apple and on Spotify. So we're really, really happy to be joined today by Mike Peterson, who is Audiovisual Experience Manager with Iowa State University. Uh, and Mike is very well known in AV Tweep circles. Uh, he's was part of a, an Infocom panel that I, I did last year, a real recognized subject matter expert, an in-house integrator, a technologist, uh, someone that, that whose opinions are worth listening to. Thank you, Mike, for being here. Really appreciate it. It's a pleasure, as always, to uh, to speak with you, Dan. So. Yeah, really grateful to have you here and in the article, which we'll be dropping uh, in the in the upcoming weeks. And I think we'll, we'll hopefully have an impact in the in the industry and get some conversation going. But let's preview that a little bit and talk a little bit about uh, 4K and 8K. Sure. One of the premises of the article is that among all the different specs you can think about, whether it's you know contrast or brightness or refresh rate, that for some reason resolution, in particular 4K and 8K, seems to have more currency, whether it's in marketing departments or whether it's just in the popular consciousness. Do you agree with that thesis, Mike? That's A. And B, if you do, why do you think that's the case? Oh, I think certainly the, the terms 4K, 8K have a lot of currency, probably the most currency in the, the display world, particularly on the consumer side. Um, you know, now, why is that? I think it's because it's, you know, it's a, one of the easier specifications to understand. Um, you can think about... Um, Oh, I have more dots on my screen, right? You know, that's it's a physical thing. You can think of it in in, in those terms. Um, even going back to you know, light bright, you you, you people get it, right? That there's so many dots on the screen. So, uh, I, I I think it's just an easier specification to understand, and um, it's a nice shorthand thing for the manufacturers to say 4K, 8K um, to uh, you know, and more is better always accordingly, right? So. Right. Yeah, it lends itself to the little, uh, you know, box or square or something on on the the packaging itself. It says like 4K enabled or 8K enabled. It lends Absolutely. Um, yeah. So, you know, you are, I think, well known in the AV Tweeps community as being someone who's not afraid to express your, your opinion. You, uh, <laughs> you uh, are someone who is uh, can be outspoken, which is a good thing because you know of what you speak. You know, you're CTSD, you're CTSI, you're an in-house integrator with mm -hmm. a very well-known university that has a very strong technological integration. So I want to draw on that expertise, draw on that perspective, as well as your candor. What do you think about that prioritization of 4K and 8K in your role at Iowa State? Is this something that has a whole lot of purchase to you, or is this basically just like gee whiz specs and it doesn't mean a whole lot in the real world? Yeah, I mean, for for us, from a practical day-to-day -day perspective, uh, you know, 4K and 8K means very little to me, um, you know. Uh, all, all the projectors we buy largely for classrooms are 1920 by 1200. Um, the displays we buy are 4K because, 
you know, that's the only glass that's manufactured right now is, is 4K and then 8K glass. So um, honestly, if I could get 1080p flat panel display still for a few bucks less, we would be doing that. We wouldn't be buying uh, 4K panels. We're just kind of forced into it right now because of how the manufacturing is going. So um, again, you know, in our use case, you know, we're largely talking about PowerPoint presentations. So the extra resolution detail really does not provide a significant benefit uh, to the larger, you know, use cases that we have around campus. So, right. Um, and the other thing that you mentioned to me when we were talking initially on Twitter about this is, are, are really the limits of human visual acuity. This idea that for 4K or especially 8K to really have the benefit that you want, you're either talking about a display that's just incredibly large or a display to which you are remarkably close. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about that? And I know kind of explaining math verbally is difficult, but you want to? Yep. Yep. No, we'll, we'll, we'll give it a we'll give it a whirl. Um, so the, the limits of visual acuity for someone with 20-20 vision is about one arc minute of angle. Um, and you can run the math and you, and you can uh, determine at various distances what's the smallest pixel size that uh, a person theoretically can discern with, with their uh, best vision. Um, and if you, if you run that math out, um, we'll just get, I'll just give you one example, you know, at, at 20 feet of viewing distance for a um, 4K display at your pixel limitation, that screen's going to be about 22 feet wide and 12 and a half feet tall. Um, and so it's, you know, again, from a classroom perspective, it's just really impractical to have uh, a screen that size. And so, you know, now, I will say that there are experts uh, who have alternative theories um, of how, you know, uh, something called Nyquist filtering that, you know, per, that says that 4K can provide additional detailed benefit even uh, below our pixel resolution of our eyes. Um, I don't know. I I'm not a firm believer uh, necessarily yet, and so, but I, I just I just wanted to put that out there that there are some experts uh, making that claim. So, okay. Um, so let's talk about some of the applications where conceivably 4K or 8K you think might add value, and they might not be on the state uh, on the campus of Iowa State or any other education institution for that matter. But um, knowing you're an integrator as you are an in-house integrator, mm -hmm. where would you say you would see value. If you were making the decision either as a consultant or an integrator or a technology manager, where you would say 4K or 8K, I need that here. Yep. Is that like an esports uh, space or where would you say? Well, um, I, yeah, I mean, I think uh, esports is an interesting uh, use case for that potentially, right? Um, but, you know, from, a, from an educational perspective, you know, I think that there's certain fields that could could benefit from the extra resolution. So like here at Iowa State, you know, I can think of uh, GIS or geographical information systems, basically mapping, right? Um, mm -hmm. And perhaps, you know, they wanted to uh, take um, aerial imagery and, you know, really look up close and, and see as much fine detail as they can in that. And so, you know, that might be an application where 
they have a higher resolution display, but they're really close to it. You know, that's that's the difference is, you know, if you if you want to go to this 4K, 8K resolution, your viewing distance is going to become very short. And so, you know, you know, a foot or two up to, you know, down, down to a few inches um, is kind of going to be your viewing distance for really studying fine detail. So, you know, engineering, um, you know, um, vet med, there's a few other, you know, places where very unique use cases, they might have um, some benefit uh, to that additional detail. So, um, and, and what's interesting is it, people haven't read the article yet, but I know that you have uh, Aaron Peterson, the other Peterson in the article. Yes. drove me crazy with the spellings and everything. <laughs> but, uh, Aaron recounted an anecdote uh, from Mechdyne where he basically had a client who said, I expect my team to be no more than one foot away from the displays. And I want to be they to, them to be able to go from one tile to the next and look at one image to the next. Yep. right up in front of them and yep. then we're looking for something i think 8k i think at the time they, they had to quote unquote settle for 4k right but that's the kind of niche or specialized application Correct. that we're really talking about that's right that's right um you know medical imaging um again they've been using high resolution for a long time because it's critical for them to see the smallest minute detail perhaps uh, in some medical imaging system so but again their doctors are studying this very close at at you know kind of desktop monitor distance uh and so um you know that's you know those yep absolutely that's what we're talking about um, the other thing that was mentioned in the, the article is that, you know, as much as people are focused on resolution specs, 4K and 8K, there are a whole range of other specifications that may even have more of an impact in terms of the end user experience. And, and the one that immediately comes to mind, I think, is high dynamic range versus standard dynamic range. One of the anecdotes in the article is talking about if you're trying to be on, you know, John Deere's campus and you can't reproduce John Deere green, or if you're on, on Coca-Cola's campus and you can't reproduce Coca-Cola cola red yep. that's a problem it doesn't matter how many pixels you have if the color is wrong can you talk about some of the other specifications that you as an in-house integrator or a technology specifier would have in mind and say you know I, I may not need 10 million pixels what i need is this yeah i mean i think there's certainly um you know color space is as you mentioned depending on the application it could be really important right if you're um a design professional and you know, when I, when I talk like um, aesthetic design professional, uh, you may have very specific color requirements that you really want to reproduce colors very accurately. Um, and so, you know, in those types of situations, you know, having a 10-bit color or an expanded, you know, even up to Rec 2020 color space could certainly provide some additional benefits to, to that type of use case. And the high dynamic range is another op, you know opportunity to uh, look at those types of specifications. So, you know, what I would go back to though, in 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 all of those cases, resolution, dynamic range, color space, whatever other you know refresh rate, whatever specifications you might require, if your viewing environment is less than ideal, none of those are going to help you, uh, and so. You know, that's the other thing that people really need to be stopping and thinking about is, is the viewing environment appropriate and ideal to take advantage of these increased uh, 
capabilities that we're starting to see out of displays. If the room's too bright, you get bright sunlight in the right wrong spots. Um, you know, it you know various different things. If if the room has you know it's painted bright red, it's going to cast a red glow onto whatever image you're seeing. So you know you have to stop and think about you know wall colors, lighting, you know where the windows are. You know, there's just lots of aspects to the viewing environment that you also need to make sure are correct to get the most advantage. That's absolutely true. And I, I certainly would imagine on the, on the campus of Iowa State, if a, if a professor or an administrator weren't happy with the viewing environment, they wouldn't be mollified if you handed them a spec sheet and said, well, it has high dynamic range. Correct. Has, <laughs> that, that's not gonna, that's not going to work with them. It has to be an experience and the, and the environment is part of that experience. Absolutely. Yep. Um, one of the other things we talk about in the article is the idea of content. For a very long time, people have lamented the lack of Ultra HD content. And some of the interviewees were basically saying, you know, that, that uh, price points on cameras have fallen to the point now and, and smartphones themselves, in many cases, are able to p uh, pick up 4K content that we're no longer experiencing the kind of dearth of content that we have for so long. I think you had a slightly different point of view, or at least a different emphasis. Where would you say you stand with regard to 4K content? Yeah, um, as many people say, and I, I've said all the time, content is king. Uh, you can have the most impressive technology in the world and crappy content, and it's a crappy experience. And I've seen outstanding content presented on mediocre technology and it's still a really amazing experience so you know content really does make all the difference um yes you know the capability to produce video or still images at a higher resolution has certainly expanded in, in recent um, years but you know beyond that what you need to do is take that content and and develop it into a teaching tool uh, so it's it's much more than just the content you you have to then create um lesson plans and um you know specified content that that meets whatever the the learning requirements are for said session and you know that's where you know we're still not seeing a tremendous amount of additional content is in well-prepared, well-researched, um, developed content designed specifically for an educational purpose at these higher resolutions. We're just not still, we're just still not seeing a lot of it, you know, and actually, you know, this, this extends into, uh, you know, extended reality. So, you know, VR, AR, MR, you know, that's the challenge right now with, with that as well, right? Certainly the technology is readily available, but the content isn't. And so, you know, if that's something that you want to do at your campus, then you're really going to have to stop and think about, okay, do we need to develop uh, an in-house content development, you know, group that is doing nothing but, you know, creating customized either high resolution, high dynamic range, or, uh, you know, XR type content that, um, that suits our needs. So that's, yeah, content is, content's critical and content to me is still lacking in the, in the higher educational world. 
I, I couldn't uh, agree more about the, the criticality of content, not just in higher education, but but all over the place. I've heard anecdotes from people about hospitality venues that have you know incredible digital signage applications technically, but it, it, either they don't have the content to populate them or the content was generated a year and a half ago and they still haven't refreshed it. And yep. at that point, you know, what value does it have? If I stay there even once a quarter and I'm seeing the same content that I saw <laughs> for my last five visits it's no longer engaging it no longer is delivering an experience yep that's right that's right so uh, I, I guess what i'd like to know is again going from an in-house integrator's perspective which is a bit different from a third-party integrator or a third-party sure. consultant um I, i'd like to know your perspective on when people do go to their technology solutions provider and they say oh i want 4k i want 8k and they may not really know what their needs are they may not really know what what they're asking for. And in the article, Brandon Creel from HughShot says, you know, he's had clients that have, you know, theater or auditorium applications saying, oh, I need 4K, I need 4K. And then he'll say, well, why? And yeah. they don't really know. So how can you be a consultative strategic advisor in that circumstance? What are best practices, whether you're an in-house integrator or a third-party integrator to be that strategic partner? Well, yeah, I mean, the term that comes to, to mind is you know needs analysis. It, you really need to do a proper uh, needs analysis with the with the client, you know, and that includes okay, what is what is your end goal? You know, what are you hoping to achieve out of the system? What is your workflow? How do you create the content? Where does the content come from? You know, where do the results of whatever you're attempting to do in the space? Where do, where do those go? And, and how are you using the space? You know, while you're in it. Um, you really need to be asking those types of questions to understand exactly what their mission and, and goals are. And so it's really hard for, by the way, the, the, the industry is getting so much better in the last, you know, five to 10 years uh, with this, with this regard, but there are still people that just want to go out there and sell widgets and specifications. And that's not what you should be selling. You should be selling, um, an experience that's matched exactly to the client's actual needs. Uh, mm -hmm. And so, you know, taking the time to ask the experiential questions, um, you know, you, you don't want to go in and say, okay, how many laptops do you want to connect? No, you, what you really want to go in and, and, is, is ask, okay, what do you want to achieve in this room uh, when you're in here, right? For, you know, one of the questions I like to ask is, Okay, from the time you step in this room to the time you leave, what experience are you looking for, right? You really want to make it a broader questions, um, more open-ended questions that, you know, allow you to, to get a better understanding of what they really are attempting to do in the space. I think that that is the very best vision of being an integrator. I, I love. I don't know who's the one who said it, but I've quoted whoever it was many, many times that integrators are storytellers and memory makers and smile generators. It is about the experiences we create. It is not about the technology that happens yep. to facilitate those experiences. Um, so I, I agree that is the best practice, the best vision of being an integrator today. I guess my follow-up question is, if we're going to perhaps de-emphasize 4K, 8K, and other kinds of specsmanship, if you're on the vendor side, the manufacturer side, you're looking for ways to differentiate your offerings from those of others. If you're not going to do it on the basis of a spec sheet, 
how do you differentiate yourself? And I, I don't know if you have a strong opinion on that, but if so, I'd love to hear it. Yeah, and we touched on this on the article a little bit as well. But you know, one of the things that I would be thinking about is you know ecosystems. So for us, AV over IP is where everything's headed. Um, you know, AV is IT. I'm a firm believer in that. Uh, and so the the easier we can make that process, the better. Uh, if you'd have asked me 10 years ago, I'd have said, oh, yeah, by, you know, 2023, we would be able to uh, take a computer and take a display and connect a network cable from each to a network switch. And you would have content readily, de readily delivered right to that display with no other devices involved. I'm like, oh, yeah, surely by 2023, we'd be there. And we are still not there. And that is where we need to be. Right. So it's. Um, you know, ideally, you know, you have whatever, whatever your content generator is, typically a computer, you have that connected to the network, whatever your display is, uh, get that connected to the network and that's it. You should have no other boxes in between. And so that would be the vision, right? Is uh, ease of integration, ease of use, um, standardization of protocols. Those are the types of things that I think are going, you know, but the, I agree the challenge with that though is that you know it's not sexy right for especially on the consumer side they don't really care you know so it's not sexy specs and so you know it's an ongoing challenge and, and I I'm not sure how to solve it other than you know what I know professionally um so yeah we'll see where it goes if you were to look in your magic eight ball uh do you think that we're going to be moving steadily in that direction or do you feel like your uh, your best hopes might be thwarted as you kind of said where you imagine something to be the case by x date and it doesn't quite make it there well i it's gonna happen right because here, here's here's the deal the the it world is going to force it to happen one way or the other um uh they are we are a small fish in the, the big IT pond, you know, and at some point um, the IT world is just going to say, nope, we're going to generate a standard and this is what we're going to use and everyone's going to be on board. And so, you know, we'd like to think that we have a lot of power in, in pro AV, but relative to IT, uh, we're small fish. And at some point the IT people are going to get sick of us, you know, with a hundred different standards and each manufacturer having their own customized standard. And they're just going to say, no, we're done. And so it, it's going to happen. I can't give you an estimate on when that, that date is, but at some point, IT will force it. I certainly believe that to be true. And I was actually going to ask you a, a secret bonus question, which you've already now answered. I was going to ask you tongue-in-cheek, is, uh, is AVIT? But absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Hashtag AV is IT. I'm totally on board uh, that camp. So. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Mike, for being here. Do you have any closing thoughts you might want to share with our audience about 4K, 8K specsmanship and the rise instead of the experience? Yeah, I mean, uh, again, just uh, keep in mind, you know, what is your viewing environment? What is your content? And what does the what does the client really need to do? Um, those should be driving your specifications. You shouldn't be driving specifications just for specification's sake. So yeah, that's what, that's what I'd leave you with. 
Well, thank you so much, Mike, once again, not only for being part of the cover story, which will be running in February in Commercial Integrator, but of course, being on the AV Plus podcast. I appreciate your expertise and you, you being willing to invest your time during what I'm sure is a busy season for you to share your expertise with Commercial Integrator, our audience and me. Oh, it's my pleasure. As always, I'm uh, happy to come back anytime. <laughs> Well, thank you once again, Mike Peterson, who is Audiovisual Experience Manager with Iowa State University. My name is Dan Farisi, Editor-in-Chief with Commercial Integrator. Thank you so much for joining us on the AV Plus podcast. Please check back on commercialintegrator.com each and every Friday for a new edition of AV Plus. And please check the website every day for more thought-provoking and informative content just like this. But in the meantime, have a great day.